You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 1, the second week in our journey through the book of Acts. I hope you are encouraged thus far because it's a bit of a journey ahead of us throughout this ministry year. Um, throughout this Throughout this series, we want to provide resources for you um, to help grow you and equip you. Um, Here's one of the first resources we're offering. This is um, an Acts Scripture journal um, put out by Crossway, fantastic publisher. I don't know how many are left after last service. I haven't haven't heard from anyone yet. Someone can update me okay for sure as we go on the weekend. We initially ordered um, 500 of these. Um, what it is, it's really simple. It's going to have all the scriptures of the book of Acts on one side, and then there's a page for note-taking on the other, all right? So this can literally be, I love this idea, this can literally be your sermon notebook for the entire year, right? You can use it as you journey through Acts and to keep it for the rest of your life to remember what God has shown you and taught you. And so these are available, again, right now at the bookstore, while supplies last today, we'll order more if we need to. Um, these are available for $5, all right? We try to give it to you um, as inexpensive as we can. So that means you can go without one latte this week, and uh, you can get a scripture journal that can last you for eternity. How's that, okay? Let me see Starbucks give you that, all right? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, again, for $5 in the, in the bookstore, we had 500 to start. We'll see what we end up with as we go along. But I highly, highly recommend it so you can come each week and you can kind of journey together and journal through that journey together. So that's super exciting. More resources, more resources to come as we go along. So one of the great blessings of expository preaching that we are undertaking is it takes you to places that you might not ordinarily go. Like, for example, uh, last week in one uh, Acts 1 verse 8, um, that passage has been preached on millions of times, um, but not so much our text today. However, as God's Word does, um, I went into this week's text somewhat familiar, but I came out again amazed at insights and depth and application and just so encouraged. This is what God's word does. It always does. Today we will see this, and it's pretty important. We will see a mixture of beautiful devotion, but also a recollection of um, tragic devastation. So we're going to see beautiful devotion, but we're also going to see tragic devastation. So Let's get started right away with the time that we have. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Um, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon. Hey, Mike, this has to be hard to translate, right? A little bit? A little bit? Yeah. Um, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon. The zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, beautiful, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, and his brothers. So, the ascension has taken place. The disciples returned to Jerusalem. Notice the Bible mentions it was a Sabbath day's 
journey. What is that? That is a unit of measurement. This wasn't actually on the Sabbath. It's like uh, we would say a half a mile or a kilometer. This is actually about a kilometer in length in terms of our understanding of this measurement. So they don't travel very far, as we know any kind of Bible geography. They reach Jerusalem. They enter the upper room, the text says. We're not sure this could be the same upper room where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with disciples, where he appeared to them post-resurrection to his disciples, commentators would lean on the understanding it probably is the same upper room. If it is, man, that room saw some amazing events, world-changing events as well. So if it was, it's pretty exciting. So they assemble there together, and right away, something beautiful begins to take place, and this takes us to point number one, which is this, the unity within. I want us to consider that. Consider the unity within. Now, in Luke 24, remember, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. Like, Acts is really the second volume of a two-volume series. And so, at the end of Luke's Gospel, he tells us the disciples return to Jerusalem after the ascension, right? And they return with great joy. Now, there must have been, as the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy, there must have been some marvelous marveling over all they had seen and heard. They watched Jesus ascend to heaven. They are returning. They are waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, the promise, whatever they believe that's going to kind of manifest as. So there's tremendous marveling. But church, listen, there must have been some supernatural momentum. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, wow, God is on the move, man. Like, something, go. we don't see it all around us right now, but we just sense that we're a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. That would have been an awesome feeling, wouldn't it? I mean, you're just, you're just going through life, and you're, you're waking up, and you're like, wow, man, like, I am living for a purpose. That's so neat in our world today. And I'm telling you, we're praying this too for our church. That we would sense the same supernatural momentum, believing God's is that work. And I love when people kind of have a sense of discernment and, 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 and sensing that the Lord is working. So they would have an immense expectation upon them. And I got to imagine, too, they would have had almost like a, a holy nervousness. Like not a bad nervousness, not bad anxiety, but just like a holy anticipation and nervousness that God is about to do something extraordinary. Let's look at verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, and his brother. So this is this is a beautiful scene here in verse 14 of God-given unity. The most important phrase, at least to start, is the phrase, you might want to underline it or circle it, it's one accord, okay? So look at the phrase there, one accord. This church is the secret to the blessing of the early church. One accord means with one mind or one passion, Interestingly, this is a favorite word of Luke. Um, one accord is used 12 times in the New Testament. Uh, 11 of those times occur in the book of Acts. Um, one accord, it, it, it's it really um, underneath it, there's a musical term. 
um, when instruments come in harmony together. I mean, how beautiful is it to hear an orchestra or to hear, again, a worship team, whatever it might be, music coming together and in unison, unified, and it's so beautiful. It literally makes you feel good. Like you hear it, you're like, that is awesome. But then conversely, to hear someone sing off key and you're like, ah, or an instrument to play the wrong note and you're like, right? It makes you cringe inside when the notes don't line up, which is again when sin enters the church and causes disunity. But when unity is within the church, it's beautiful music being played of instruments coming together. So let's just pause for a second and consider that truth. The power of unity within the church creates a symphony of glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something very powerful, church, when we are moving together in one accord with one mind. Now, why was the early church so unified? Here's why, ready? Because their purpose was so strong. Their vision was so clear They weren't distracted by things around them. But let's remember, it wasn't that long ago that the disciples themselves were fighting over who was the greatest. Remember that part in Scripture? Like, it wasn't that long ago before they were bickering with one another, jealous with each other. It wasn't that long ago that James and John's mother came up to Jesus asking him to favor her sons over everyone else, right? Nepotism to the max, right? And the other ten disciples find out about it, and the Bible says they are indignant, they're, they're, they're super furious. So you have the disciples arguing, complaining, fighting, envious, and jealous over one another. But then you come to Acts chapter 1, and all that just seems to be gone. All of a sudden, man, that's just irrelevant. There's no time for comparison anymore. There's no time for fighting. There's no time for blaming. No time for accusing. Why? Why? The why? Why? Ready? Because they, they've never seen their purpose more clearly, and it's only going to get more clear in the next chapter. They've never sensed again their mission for this earth. It's not about them. It's not about their greatness. It's Christ. They're all seeing Christ and his glory and the cause of the gospel again upon this world. And when they see Christ, they have holy blinders. Think of a horse who's racing that has the blinders on so the peripheral and the things distracting potentially are gone. Can't see it now. The disciples have Holy Holy Spirit-given blinders on them where their vision is just straight ahead. It's beautiful. Compared to the weapons of mass distraction that fill our lives so constantly. And we get so distracted by all the dumb things and all the useless things and all our own things of, I want to be. How come I'm not in that place? How come I'm not being elevated? How come I'm not hurt? How come I'm not getting my chance? How come all those all those things of selfish sin that Satan uses so often to cause the church such destruction. So question right now. Let's stop right here for a second. And I always want to pause and get some application as we consider the unity of the early church and considering where they came from. Are you prone to jealousy? Are you prone to comparison? Are you prone to complaining? Are you prone to bickering with other people? 
Here's what we need to do right now. If this is what we're pro- if this is what we're doing right now, so many portions of the church ruin themselves by their own desire for their own elevation and style. I'll tell you, if this is what we're prone to, let's admit right now, okay? Let's admit that is anti-Holy Spirit. There is no way you are filled with envy, complaining, bitterness, and wanting self-greatness, and the Holy Spirit's filling you. That's impossible. That's the opposite of what the Holy Spirit does. Let's just admit right now, if that's our MO, we are quenching and grieving the Spirit of God. By the way, that is why um, those who complain and bicker and argue, there's often so little praying among those who complain. Why? You know, like uh, this Wednesday at our all churches prayer meeting, so excited about that, um, people who are filled with bitterness and complaining, they won't show up to the prayer meeting because prayer is a spiritual act. Prayer is a dependence upon the Lord and the purity of the unity. And people who are super grumpy and angry about everything, they don't come to the prayer meetings because they've grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit. And the last thing they want to do is to actually engage in spiritual practices where they have to admit they need the Lord and confess their sin. And so that's why the complainers show up to the meetings and cause a chaos in the church, but they don't show up to the prayer meetings. When we are seeking to see unity within our church and unity within our lives, we will be aware of this and we'll stop trying to pretend that we're kind of righteous in one area, but in reality is we know that we're not. What you have here is the early church. You have a 2020 vision. And what they're learning very quickly is they need each other. They need each other. See, by God's design in Acts 1, unity was really deepening. Why? Because hard times were coming. Like persecution was coming upon the church. Trials were coming. I mean, awesome things were going to happen, but with the awesome things, trials and persecution. So they had to have a spirit-given unity to allow them to persevere. And we, church, are no different. We are no different. The more powerful our unity in Christ, the more ready we are for whatever is coming next the power of unity. I want you to consider that. I want you to notice a couple of insights in this text. Again, there's God's word. There's so much here. I just, the time I have. Notice the prominence of women in verse 14. It says, they were gathered, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Luke goes against the culture of his day by emphasizing women here. Again, Luke loves to emphasize women, again, surrounding Jesus and here in the early church. The unity of men and women together for Christ is so beautiful. Wow. The beauty of women at Hope Bible Church, the wisdom of our women, the giftedness of our women, the servant hearts of our women, the the. It's amazing to me how many women in this church are used, honestly, to advise me, to counsel me, to pray for me, to help. Just the, the saints in the church, starting with my wife, and then I just so, so blessed to see this emphasize the unity in the church, the men and the women and the children together. I mean, how beautiful it is to see the power of men, but the power of women being used as well for the greatest cause, the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, the women of Hope Bible Church, aren't they so special? Amen, men? That was so weak, man. That was so lame. Thank you for clapping. You should clap. You should clap. It's so awesome. I love that here. I, I treasure that here. The elders treasure that here. Notice the mention of Mary as well. Notice the mention of Mary. By the way, this is a direct rebuke against any form of Mariolatry. I want you to see Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Notice she's there worshiping and praying right alongside everyone else, most likely on her knees with everyone else. There's no veneration of her. There's no special treatment. There's no kind of higher elevation of anyone else. She's just there among everyone else worshiping Jesus Christ, which is amazing to me as well. And I want you to know this too. This is the last time Mary's mentioned in the Bible again. This is the last time. Never heard from again. Because from this point on, loved ones, it's not about the people, it's about the person, Jesus Christ. And it's always been that way. Here in our church, it's not about person or person. It's about Christ. It's always about Christ who cares about you or me in the end, right? We're long forgotten. Jesus Christ is the one who's remembered. And so Mary's never mentioned again because it's not about her. She's a woman of God. We esteem her in terms of a woman of God. Peter's a man of God. Paul's a man of God. But she's not more than that. She loves Jesus like we love Jesus. Finally, um, I want you to look at Luke 24, verse 52 on the screen here, okay? Because this is the context of what we're seeing as well. Verse 52, this is, so, and they worshiped him, this is after the ascension, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and then watch this, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. So we get a hint here of what's going on, okay? So you have the disciples have great joy, but they were continually in the temple blessing or praising God, um, other translations say as well. Our text says, right, in verse 14, they were devoting themselves to prayer. So in the early church, before the Holy Spirit is given, you have the disciples with great joy, in unity, continually praising and continually praying, waiting for an incredible supernatural move of the Holy Spirit of God. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? Hey, wait, this Wednesday at 7 p.m., what are we doing? Oh, we're gathering together with a bunch of churches, churches again that we planted and we're in such unity with, and we're going to be praising the Lord, and we're going to be praying to God together and anticipating a wonderful supernatural move of the Spirit of God, even for us as our church, as we await to preach through Pentecost, Lord willing, next week in Acts chapter 2. That really sounds like a good idea. I like that. We're praising, we're praying, and we're unified as we wait and expect God to do something extraordinary among us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Hey, my, my advice to you is you should show up on Wednesday. Just saying. Like, just say. You should. I think it's going to be really good and really important. And we have a very strong model before us today of what we seek to do when we want to see God work. I want you to notice this too. Did I mention prayer meeting this Wednesday 7 p.m.? Did I mention that? Doors open 6.30. I'm telling a church. I mean, it's just, it's just, in fact, let's put that quote up by William McDonald here. Can we do that? Can we, can we put that quote up? Look at this, okay? He says, I love this. He says, it cannot be emphasized too strong that unity and prayer were the prelude to Pentecost. I like when he says that. Like, you can't overstate it. Unity and prayer were the prelude to God doing absolutely extraordinary works among his church and among his people. So prayer becomes one of the most powerful forms of unity. Hey, marriages, prayer is one of the most powerful forms of unity. Families, friendships, groups in our church, leaders, everyone, everyone, church, hope, hope, listen up. Prayer is one of the most powerful forms of unity in the church. It's why we have such a high elevation of prayer within our church. And God help us to never give up on that. It's hard work, isn't it? But it's so worthy. 
So unity within. So unity within. Now listen, right now, I want you to consider your part in the unity of this church right now. So Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, speak to us all. I'm not saying this just for use of words. I mean, I, I really mean it. Holy Spirit of God, would you speak to each one of us right now? As in everyone who's saved in Jesus Christ right now, speak to us. Everyone who calls this church their home, speak to us right now. What does unity look like in my life, God? What does unity look like in my part of this church right now? Does unity look like singing? And I mean that, like, like becoming part of gather time here and singing and praising and encouraging the church with songs of praise because we're filled with the Spirit. We make melody to the Lord with our hearts, Ephesians 5. Does unity look like for you right now? Is it praying? The answer is that is yes, by the way. Maybe unity for you is, is showing up this Wednesday to be part of the church, to pray for a greater work of God. Maybe it's like, here's a wonderful goal. Each week that you show up, unity to you is part of gather time. You will seek to pray for one person, one person while you're here before you leave. Lord, I want to pray for one person. I want to encourage one person. I want to come up. I want to love them. I want to embrace them. I want to pray for them. It's not about me. I want to be about them. If, every, if everyone in our church had that goal every time we showed up, Wow, like this is the place you'd want to be, bring your friends and come back to. Every single person coming and saying, I want to prayerfully encourage someone. That is unifying. Is unity to you, is it, is it, this is so important, is unity for you right now here, is it forgiving someone? For too long you've been too filled with bitterness. Too many lives have been hurt around you by resentment and unforgiveness. And maybe finally by the Spirit of God and grace of God, you're going to just stop making it about you or me. And you're just going to forgive. You're going to just let it go, man. You're, you're going to forgive as we've been forgiven in Christ, Colossians 3. I mean, that, that would be so powerfully unifying today. Wow, does the Lord, and by the way, it's what Satan's most afraid of. One of Satan's greatest weapons, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe, is that it's unforgiveness in the church. Unforgiveness. Is unity for you serving? So many of you are standing up and, and stepping up to serve, which is so awesome. You see, it, we need that right now in our season. But for some of unity, is like, I'm going to do my part. I have gifts. I want to be used. I'm going to come in. I'm going to be humble about it. I want to serve in the unity, unity of the church and build up the body here to go out from here and bless. For some of you, is unity giving, giving to the kingdom for the first time maybe ever. You're actually going to give to that which lasts as opposed to adding another notch in the belt of materialism. Giving and, and unifying and seeing more churches like Hope Toronto West or Toronto North being planted today, how awesome that would be. Is unity for some of us here today, listen, it's just, it's just you're going to stop complaining. You're going to stop murmuring. Stop Stop arguing, stop, stop bickering, stop, stop, stop competing. That'd be very unifying, by the way. What does unity look like for a lot of us? It's, it's just loving. It's just, Lord, I want to love others more for your glory. And when that happens, this place is going to look pretty awesome and pretty beautiful. And it's going to resemble the, the impact of the early church.
as well. So point number one is the unity within. I want us all to consider that. Hey, by the way, church, right now, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, don't quench him. Like if he's being clear with you right now, act on it. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer of the word. Do not wait till next week. If he speaks, act, act while you have the conviction and the incentive. So number two is this. Unity within number two is the disaster without. Uh, let us be very cautious. Take caution. Whoa, what do you mean by that? Well, look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, brothers, look at this. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the whole... Okay, this, this verse 16 is one of the most greatest, strongest apologetics for the inspiration of Scripture in the Bible, by the way. Look at Peter's understanding. The Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Who wrote the book? The Holy Spirit did through human authors, in this case David, awesome. Concerning Judas, the book you hold is not a normal book. It is the book of books written by God. So Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now, my translation right now has a parenthesis here. So what's happening is Luke is now inserting his comments in the midst of Peter's message, okay? So Luke's words are, Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so the field was called in their own language, Akadema, that is the field of blood. Now back to Peter. Peter said, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp be become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. That's a quote from Psalm 69. And, now he quotes Psalm 109, And let another take his office. Okay? So Peter here, after that incredible statement as to the inspiration of God's word, Peter quotes Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. Why? Ready? Ready? as prophecies concerning the betrayal of Judas. Now, that, that's amazing to me. So consider how far the disciples, in this case Peter, has come. Peter went from, in Matthew 16, Jesus prophesies of his own death and crucifixion, and Peter's so upset with this, he rebukes Jesus and that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. You are not setting your mind and heart on things of God, but things of man. I mean, Peter totally did not understand the scriptures. Now here he is, post-resurrection, post-ascension. And this is after, by the way, the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, when Jesus appears to the two men walking along. And, it, and the scripture says, and he revealed to them all the things of the Old Testament pertaining to himself. And it says the minds of their hearts were open. They saw Jesus. But Jesus was saying, listen, listen. In this prophecy, I'm the answer. In this thing, I'm the purpose. In this thing, again, I'm the fulfillment of this. And they were absolutely blown away. For the first time ever, they started to see that everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ. They go back to the disciples. They have a light bulb fest. Okay? There are light bulbs going off all over the place of like, oh, no way, that's Jesus? Wow, this one too, that's Jesus? You mean that promise? Wow, this is awesome. They were so encouraged, and they encouraged one another, and now here is Peter, so enlightened to the fulfillment of Scripture found in Jesus, he even can find small verses like this that promise the fulfillment of Judas's betrayal of all things. Amazing, amazing. 
the power of understanding the Word of God. And so one of the great encouragements we get from this text, even in the betrayal of Judas, as we're learning here, when Peter says, Scripture must be fulfilled, ready, 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 God is so sovereign. God is even sovereign over Judas's betrayal. Look, look, look for me as proof of this. Look at um, Acts 2, verse 23. I don't have to turn. You might have to turn one page. But just look at just an affirmation of what we're saying. This Jesus, this is Peter's sermon. We'll get to this in a couple weeks. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You think God's sovereign? Uh, yes. Listen, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. So what do we learn here? We learn God is sovereign over sin, but God is not responsible for the sin. And here's the principle for our lives too, just even from the, the prophecies of Judas' betrayal. Um, even, listen, even in the darkest times, God is still working. Apply that to your life right now. You get that? So like they're watching Judas and what he did. It seems so awful and it was. It was so evil and it was. It was so treacherous and it was. And yet, yet God is sovereign over that too. And God was working that, again, working that as a part of his plan for the salvation of the world as well and the gospel to go forward. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome, man, how awesome our God is. In verse 18, Luke describes Judas' betrayal as wickedness, villainy, or treachery. You gotta imagine the disciples, like, they walked with Judas, they were friends with Judas, they ate with Judas, they shared conversations with Judas. But in the end, this is who Judas was. John 6 on the screen for you. Jesus says, again, scripture's so clear. Jesus says, He answered, Did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. And just in case you have any questions about who he's referring to, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Um, you don't call someone a devil if they're saved. Judas was not saved. I don't believe there's any hope that Judas was saved when he died. I think even in this moment, too, we need to step back and get a little bit of a big picture here. Um, Judas represents the greatest example of wasted opportunity ever. Think about it. He literally walked with Jesus for years, he spoke face-to-face -face with Jesus. He was one of the 12 who had the ear of Jesus. All that he saw, all that he witnessed, the glory of God himself was right in front of his face. And we must listen so carefully. Ready, ready, ready? This is so important. In the end, the greed of Judas and the love of money specifically blinded him to eternal life. He was so filled with selfishness and his own fulfillment of worldly desires. He was standing before the Son of God and talking and listening to the teachings of the Son of God day after day after day. But in the end, he was so blinded because his God was the world and that led him to eternal death. I'm telling you, have caution right now from this example. Takes so much caution. Judas is left to realize what he's done. He goes and hangs himself in total despair. As his body hangs, it falls below. It bursts open upon the rocks. Total disaster. The 30 pieces of silver that he gained from betraying Jesus, he is stricken in conscience. He throws it on the floor. It is blood money. The religious leaders pick up that money. They purchase the field of blood, again called Alcadema in our text. So sad, so tragic, so sobering. 
So you have such powerful unity within the early church, but then a reminder of such devastation without. I mean, Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus said, and give that example to those who will say, I never knew you, Judas is the epitome of that fulfillment. In Matthew 7, Jesus' people come up and said, but I cast out demons, and I did mighty works of God in your name. And Jesus says, but I never knew, that, that's Judas. Like he probably did all those things as much as anyone. And yet, and yet, it was a facade and he did not have the true favor of God through genuine repentance of sin and belief in Jesus for grace. I'm just saying, Lord, may there not be any Judases here today. I'm telling you, man, that the word of God to warn us and sober us I'm not sure if you'd see yourself as a betrayer. I'm just telling you the idea, though, that you could hear the testimony of Christ over and over again, that you can be witness to the light of Christ, that you can see other lives around you changed by Christ. You can sit in church week after week or month and maybe year after year and yet not know Christ. I'm telling you, the warning is here right now. And in the love of Jesus Christ, man, if you have any question, any question, do you know that you know that you know that you are alive in the Lord Jesus? There, all the stats say in abundance. Not everyone in this room is saved right now. There's no way. There's no way. Take a good, good look, hard look within. And some of you know that you're not. Why do you wait another day? Do not be a Judas. Do not be so close, but you love the world and money and stuff more than eternal life in Jesus. It's such tragic devastation. Oh, Lord, may you bring many to yourself here today, I pray. Lord, do it. Lord, do it. So we have unity within. We have devastation without. And then thirdly this, we have the witness throughout calling the witness throughout. So look at verse 21 now. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time, so Peter's picking up of the verse he just read, replacing Judas, went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So see what he's saying there? He's like, we have to find a man who has witnessed um, the, been there from the, from the baptism of Jesus all the way through his ministry to post-resurrection, witnessing his resurrection. This, this is someone who will qualify. So, in verse 23, so they put forward two. Joseph called Barsabbas, also called Justice, probably his last name, and Matthias, verse 24, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So Peter understands from Psalm 109, you can see that, let another take his office there in verse 20. Peter understands that Judas must be replaced. And so he seeks to be obedient. Um, on the screen for you, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that the apostles were the foundation of the church, and Christ is the cornerstone. So replacing Judas becomes very important. Also on the screen for you, Revelation 21. This is, this is fascinating. In the New Jerusalem, it says where the names 
the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you can't have 11 names in heaven on the thrones. you got to have 12. Judas is out. So replacing Judas was an eternal requirement. Again, the requirements were from the baptism of Jesus to his resurrection, two men are put forward. Matthias is chosen by lots. This is caused some controversy. I don't think it needs to be really controversial. Notice the following in our context. The early church was steeped in prayer, filled with unity, immersed in the scriptures, pursuing obedience, and filled with worship. I like their chances at the right decision, okay? Furthermore, Proverbs 16 says, as an Old Testament practice was casting lots, Proverbs 16 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So God used this practice, which wouldn't happen again in the New Testament, but it happened here. I think the overarching principle for us is this, ready? God will always have his witness in the church. God will always have his witnesses. Judas is out. He was proved to be false. God will raise up legitimate men, women, and children to witness for him. And that's what we want to see today. That's how it applies for us today. Uh, Loved ones, Hope Church, uh, God is seeking to raise up generations of witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who we want to be more than ever. Witnesses to the glory and the light and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of such a dark world. And by the way, how's your witness going? I'm praying that God is moving in us. Are you like me this week and you're praying about this and you're longing to see? I heard such a sweet story about a couple in our church this past week. They were at a restaurant close to our church and they were um, at a meal and they've been talking to this waitress a couple of times. I think they know her by name and she knows them by name and she are telling them about this church and she ended up knowing a lot about this church. Oh, being the church down the road there, the church that has now the services on Sunday, the church that is now called Hope and was Harvest. Like, yeah, how do you know all these things? And she's like, well, there's a three or four other couples that come to this restaurant, and they tell me about it too. And I'm like, that's awesome. And so you have multiple families in this church that are all seeking to be witnesses for Christ and loving this waitress in this restaurant who when I have that many people trying to reach out to her, her days are numbered, amen? I mean, her days are numbered. I mean, she's going down in all the best sense of that word, you know? So that, 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 that is such a perfect example. I love it here. I'm so happy about that. I'm so encouraged by you. I'm so inspired by you, to be honest. I'm just like, that's, that's awesome. All these individual people in our church witnessing the same. That's awesome. Wonderful. More, Lord. More. That, that's who we're supposed to be. Don't be left out in that. Don't be left out in that. All the, it's like all our parts coming together, seeking to be used in unity for Christ and for the gospel. Look out, look out, look out what could happen. God, give us the boldness that is from the Holy Spirit. Amen, 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 amen. Okay, so Acts 1 ends, and you have this relatively tiny group of people that are about to be absolute world changers. And you're like, really? Like, yeah, man, like, you flip the page, and you're going to see what happens. It's pretty awesome, right? But so you have this tiny group of men and women that are, have tons of questions filled with faith, but they're literally about to change the world. And you're like, how? Two words. Holy Spirit. That's next week. Can't wait. It's going to be good. You got to come back, all right? <laughs> Everything changes. For us, in the meantime, loved ones, unity, unity, prayer. This Wednesday, caution. We're learning here to do caution. And then God, make us, make us witnesses for you. Amen, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, build a unity in this church 
I don't care how big the church gets, Lord, you can do whatever you want, Lord. Unity, unity, unity. The power of unity for witness in Jesus Christ. Do it, Lord. If anyone's grumpy, give them joy. If anyone is unforgiving, Lord, give them the grace of Jesus to see how they've been forgiven. They will forgive others. Lord, if anyone is here like Judas, please, God, please in your mercy save them. Open their eyes to turn from sin and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ.